For some time now, I have been reading and studying and picking up articles and accumulating on the subject of spiritual disciplines. It's a subject that I feel I have not studied much previously or about for whatever reason. I uh, feel that I am in need of this subject and perhaps it is pertinent to the time and the um, yeah, the stage of life that we find ourselves in as a church and, and otherwise. So I've decided to undertake a series of sermons on spiritual disciplines when I preach here at Weaver Town in the next while. And uh, as I go through this series, I plan to preach sermons that include teaching on a variety of subjects like uh, Bible study and prayer, which are probably one of the first things that come to your mind when you think of spiritual disciplines. Those are only some, at least as I see it. Fasting, confession, and accountability, simplicity and rest, silence and solitude, fellowship and hospitality, soul winning, and perhaps more. As I looked at this subject and read what other people have written about it, I, um, I realized that there is no specific list in the scriptures as such that said this is a list of spiritual disciplines. In fact, I don't think those words are are consecutive or back-to-back in the New Testament, as far as I know. And so, um, as, as you study or evaluate lists of spiritual disciplines, you come up with maybe some variation, and I'm um, taking the liberty, since I'm the one teaching and preaching, to um, make my own list. And um, so, I'm suggesting that there are not um, specific Um, limitations to this list that we're talking about. But, uh, so yeah, like I said, I I think that the the series that I'm um, undertaking is going to be somewhat unique to me, and I'm fine with with that. One of the books that I have consulted that I found helpful is a book by Keith Drury on Uh, The title is With Unveiled Faces, and I think that's a relatively unique uh, title, and um, especially as I uh, look at scriptures and passages of scriptures that have to do with spiritual disciplines, I was uh, maybe drawn especially to Hebrews 12, which is um, the place where our English word discipline comes up most frequently. If you're with me, you're thinking that Hebrews 12 uses the word chastening, and uh, I'll be talking about this maybe just a little bit at some point, but we think of chastening and discipline too many times as punishment. And maybe that's a piece of the pie. I'd say it's a rather small piece of the pie, actually. I think discipline is much more than that. In fact, Hebrews 12 talks about, in verses 1 and 2, how that we are to lay aside every weight, and we're to uh, run with patience, endurance. That, t- that speaks of discipline, keeping at it. It talks about running the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus 
And I think that is probably one of the key things of everything that I want to leave with you as I go through this series of sermons, and that is the aspect of looking to Jesus. That takes huge amounts of discipline. It does for me, at least. I'm like Peter. I find myself in the storm, and I'm looking at all the stuff that's going around me. I'm trying to stay abreast of the waters and the, and the waves and navigating my way to Jesus. Or Jesus' command to us in the New Testament, to the disciples and to all of us, Whoever reads Hebrews 12, the command is to look to Jesus. Look to him. Keep our eyes on him. I enjoy bike riding. And one of the things that you learn pretty quick when you ride a bike is you can't be looking back. You can't even be looking around that much. Or you're going to be in the ditch. You're going to hit a pothole. You're going to be on the road. That's how it works in the Christian life as well. And there are so many applicable um, applications over the years, I, and probably most of you, have observed athletes. And you've seen some of the amazing feats that they do. Things that human beings can do with the right amount of practice and the right amount of training is, is, is really something. For instance, to make the Olympics, these athletes who participate in the Olympics, who make the cut, have practiced and worked for years Many of them, lots of years. And they've spent countless hours, both on and off the field of their experience, disciplining themselves, training themselves. For the goal of winning the gold medal. And if there's any promise that comes their way with some miraculous way to do what they do apart from training and hard work that they put themselves through, they know that it's bogus. They know that there's no shortcuts. They know that it requires extreme disciplining. He, Bonner, he can run something like that. How he can do it? Well, he said he can do it in so many steps as compared to a few more. This he trained him. Pray, and they. You just go to this. Con- if you just read this book, you're going to find a new level of joy that you've never had before. And you, if if you just try this method, you'll never struggle again. None of those magic potions by themselves deliver what they claim. It doesn't come down to just one thing in the Christian life. That's not how it works. And this effort of disciplining ourselves, training ourselves to follow Christ. Too often, we're looking for an easy, quick way to get to where we want to go, and we want to bypass the training. We want to bypass the discipline. We want to bypass the practice and the sweat that goes along with that. Too often, we're shopping for an effortless, effortless way to get what the Bible clearly states comes only through hard work, through training, discipline of our mind and heart and our surroundings. So I've come to believe that there is really no way to get to where we want to go. And that is godliness. That is following Christ, which is what the Bible lays out as one of the highest goals for Christians. We don't get there any other way except through discipline. And I think I've discovered that 
maybe more than any other quality. Discipline and self-discipline will have the greatest influence on whether you do well spiritually or not. Invariably, undisciplined people are defeated Christians, unvictorious Christians. Or you could say it the other way around. Undefeated, or defeated unvictorious Christians are usually undisciplined Christians. <clears throat> All right, for this first sermon, I've decided to undertake an introduction, an introduction to spiritual disciplines. And so I want to start with a couple of, a couple of points and descriptions on what, at least as I see it, are definitions, descriptors of spiritual disciplines. In general, the question is, what are spiritual disciplines? What are the spiritual disciplines? What are the disciplines that qualify to be on the list of spiritual disciplines? I have six things that I'd like to give you this morning that I think are descriptors, descriptions of, of, that, of spiritual disciplines. Firstly, the Bible describes both, or de- describes spiritual disciplines as both personal and interpersonal. They are private and public, things that you do by yourself and with other people. There are spiritual disciplines that we practice alone, and there are spiritual disciplines that we practice with other Christians. So, for example, we are to pray alone. But the Bible also has lots of examples of praying collectively, praying together. goes along with the topic that we had here, where we, where we pray alone in solitude, like Jesus taught in Matthew 6 and other places, But we also have examples and illustrations of Jesus when he prayed publicly. John 17, I think, is an illustration of what he prayed in the upper room with and for the disciples. So we don't want to think of spirituality and spiritual disciplines just as something that we do by ourselves. I think as we go along here, we're going to find, um, I'd like to show you that. We are also to engage others as we engage in spiritual disciplines for ourselves. A second characteristic of spiritual disciplines is that they are activities. They are actually things that we do. They are things that we involve ourselves in. They are not necessarily or not at all attitudes. Disciplines are practices. They are things that can be measured and observed and things that you enter into to point us to Jesus Christ, to help us, to cause us to look to Jesus Christ. They are not attitudes, they are activities. Spiritual disciplines are things that you do. They are not necessarily character qualities. They are not graces. They are not the fruit of the Spirit. They are things that you do. They are things that you habitually form in your life to 
develop your lifestyle and your habits. So you read the Bible. That's something that you do. That's a spiritual discipline. You meditate on Scripture. You fast. You pray. You, live, you learn to live simply. And you, you learn, you study the Bible and other books that educate you and help you be, to be sharp intellectually about the Bible and about Jesus. They are repetitive actions that you do that form us spiritually over a period of time. Now, the goal of practicing any spiritual given discipline is not so much about doing, although I've said now that it's an action, it's something that you do, but the action is to cause us and help us to be, which is the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the New Testament. It's not so much about doing as it is about being. And so we need to find that balance and that, that understanding that what we do is to push us to be something that the Bible actually calls us to be and to teach us to follow Christ, to have our focus on Jesus rather than as compared to things around us. I think the key verse for this entire study is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise thyself unto godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And I think that's something we do. Just interject that while we are things that we do. I'm just going to leave a warning, and that is that it is really easy for us as human beings, and perhaps especially our Western minds, although I know that it's a human problem, and that is that we start to compare the things that will, we, we start to compare how we do it as compared to other people, and it can easily be and become a snare. The Pharisees were rebuked by Jesus, primarily for lifting themselves up as better than others because of things that they did. And I think that is a, a summary of Jesus' harsh words to the Pharisees. I do not find any place in the New Testament where Jesus actually specifically rebukes them for the activities that they did, but he said that they they did those things to the exclusion of things that were more important and were bigger in priority. And I think we can do the same thing. We can be wrongly motivated about spiritual disciplines or the pursuit of spiritual disciplines. We can be motivated in a way that props us up. So we say, oh, I get up at 4 o'clock and I read my Bible for two hours until I leave for work at 6 o'clock. And so those two hours give me insight, and I'm just better spiritually than people around me. That's, yeah. And there's other illustrations like that, where we can fall into the snare and the trap that our spiritual disciplines make us better than, but rightly motivated. I want to emphasize as we go through here, rightly motivated, these are things that we do in order for, to help us focus and to cause us to focus on Jesus Christ. 
that cause us to lay aside weights that are bogging us down. And lots of Bible study is not a way for us to be, be better than those around us. It is a way for, to cause us and to motivate us to follow Jesus Christ, to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus. And that's, that's the motivation that I'd like to leave with us in all of this. Thirdly, the third descriptor of spiritual disciplines is that we're, we're talking about practices that are taught or modeled in the Bible. Spiritual disciplines. They're not just any discipline. They are disciplines that especially are focused on our spiritual life, our walk with the Lord. That's not just any hobby or any activity that is pleasurable for us. It's a spiritual discipline. <clears throat> for instance, we might be able to say, well, scripture meditation is good for you. Um, maybe you're a kind of person that enjoys scripture meditation, and you can readily and easily attend Bible schools and Bible studies and, and read books about spiritual. But my, I enjoy gardening, so I garden, and that causes me to focus on Christ. Well, maybe there's some, some truth to activities that we do, but it's what we do while we're doing them that usually... For instance, hunting, I've heard many of you say that you enjoy hunting because it gives you solitude, it gives you time for uh, reflection and prayer, and I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I just want to have us see that spiritual disciplines are not so much about things other than practices that are taught or modeled in the Bible. They are derived from the, from the gospel. <clears throat> Virtually anything being a discipline, a spiritual discipline, is one problem. The other problem is with that is that it leaves us to decide and to figure out what we need. And that, that's even a bigger problem as I see it. We're not capable and able to do that entirely. The Bible lays out the map for us. And it's important for us to get in line with that, to follow that. And that is, should be and usually is the primary means of experiencing God and growing in Christ-likeness. A fourth characteristic description of spiritual disciplines is that they are sufficient for knowing and experiencing God and for, going, for growing in Christ-likeness. We're told in these famous verses... 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed by God or given by God for, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that verse. That the man of God, he says, may be complete or perfect, may be mature, equipped for every good work. Again, that's one of the primary focuses of the New Testament in causing us to enter into certain activities because they push us, they cause us to focus on Jesus Christ. So whatever else a person might claim regarding the spiritual benefits of some practice or activity that you like that is not in the Bible, well, regardless of that, the benefits that you get from that activity, 
You could probably also make a case and say that it's not particularly absolutely necessary that you do that activity. The scriptures, on the other hand, lay out a roadmap, and one of the things, or numerous of the things that we're talking about as spiritual disciplines are things that are actually commands of scripture. They're not mere suggestions, or they're not fun hobbies necessarily that you come to your mind, but they're things that Christians, or that are promoted in the Bible as ways and means for us to get to know God and to have, keep, to have and keep our focus on him. A fifth thing here. Spiritual disciplines are derived from the gospel, not detached from the gospel. Rightly practiced, spiritual disciplines take us deeper into the gospel. And the gospel, I remind you, is basically the ABCs. It's not necessarily the the splitting of hairs and figuring out the exact terminology in that. It is the basic ABCs of Christ. About some, we're talking into the books of first leaders. And not something that First Timothy. You can see trying to make some principles. He calls it vain jangling and endless genealogies and old wives' fables and, and more. And he actually names people false teachers in their midst in Ephesus and um, wherever they, uh, Titus was a leader. Right now it's, uh, I think he was also in Ephesus maybe, but these leaders were exposing them or were exposed to people who wanted to make the gospel, the ABCs, something that was complicated. And they started from the, compli- the, the complex and to explain the simple, and it's actually um, yeah, something that's rather modern today. Spiritual disciplines are derived derived from the gospel and not divorced from it. And they only take us deeper. Spiritual disciplines are designed by God to cause us to focus on Jesus Christ. Things that are not controversial, things that are not necessarily sensational, they are derived from the gospel. The sixth thing that's important for us to see is that spiritual disciplines are a means. They are not the end. And I especially want to point that out to you here in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 brings that out. They, you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, like we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. And it is also important for us to understand that we are not godly because we practice these disciplines The disciplines themselves are not what causes us to be spiritual. The spiritual, what causes us to be godly is whether or not we focus on Jesus Christ and emulate him in life. That's the means of godliness. And we don't do that by ourselves. God gave us the Holy Spirit to cause us to pursue that, to give us the motivation, the desire to do that. And um, we talk in accurate terms about a Christian or a newborn person having a change of heart, or we talk about a person giving his heart to Jesus. I think one of the things that we mean when we say that is that it becomes their desire. It becomes their passion. It becomes their, uh, what gives them life. 
When we say that my heart, or I gave my heart to Jesus, we're actually saying that my passion and my desire is to him. And that comes about, or that change of allegiance comes about as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. God does that. We don't have the ability to make that change in and of ourselves. And even if we read the Bible through in a year, even if we spend lots of time meditating and doing, does not in and of itself make us spiritual. But when we practice these spiritual disciplines for the right motivation and for the purpose of learning to know Christ and focusing on him, I think we place ourselves in the current of the river of God's power. I want to just have you open your Bibles now to, to uh, 1 Timothy 4, and I want to make some observations that at least um, I was able to see here in this passage from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Point one, it takes work to train yourself to become godly. It takes work to train ourselves. Like I said before, it's not something that becomes automatic. It's not something that's, that's, uh, that's automatic to our spiritual nature. It takes work. Train yourself to be godly. In verse, chapter 4, verse 7, exercise thyself unto godliness. Forsake the sins that weigh you down. Hebrews 12. Refuse old wives' fables. He says in 1 Timothy 4, 7. But rather exercise yourself on the godliness. <clears throat> that tells me that when you see a need, it's important for you to step up and handle it. It does not help you to become godly by recognizing a need and then calling the pastor to take care of what you see needs to be done. It doesn't help you to become godly. It doesn't cause you to become godly when you see a need and you refuse to enter into that need. When it comes to church and the things of God, we're often, if we are honest enough to admit it, we'd rather be spectators than participants. But I think one of the challenges of training, one of the challenges of spiritual disciplines one of the challenges of disciplining ourselves to be godly is that it will require you to move from becoming a spectator to becoming a participant. When you see, when you need to speak up, do it. You do. You speak up. Christians are called the silent majority. Perhaps Amish and Mennonites have fallen into that category, especially in the last several hundred years. We've been known as the quiet in the land. And maybe there's some value in that, but there's a time and a place to speak up. And we need to speak up about things that are correct and accurate, and we need to do it in a way that's godly. We need to do it with the right spirit and the right motivation for sure. <clears throat> Psalm 40, verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. It's not something that God gave me for my sake. God gave us the gifts of the Spirit. He gave us His Word so that we can relay it to other people. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. You see, I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. <clears throat> Psalm 
When you need to take a stand for what you believe, do it. You stand. That's what, you, that's what needs to happen. The second thing that I see here is in verse 7 and 8. Refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is, the point exercise something and the benefit and for probably there's Paul, um, maybe you especially on lower back and abdomen training or um, that sort of thing. Thursday you have balance training and Friday there's flexibility and stretching and then you might take a day of rest and you start the whole thing all over again. And it's great to have plans like this for, because physical training is important. But I think that the spiritual or the application can just as well be made to our spiritual lives. We need the same focused schedule to engage specific parts, aspects of our lives and cause us to have our focus on Jesus Christ as we do it. The third thing I see here is in verse 10, and that is the fact that it might take some wrestling. It might take some, some labor and striving, as he talks about in verse 10, to accomplish this. To have ourselves become more disciplined spiritually takes hard work. Labor, striving, is the word that's used in the King James Version. Suffering reproach. And those are things that especially cause us maybe not to do some of these things because we know the difficulty that comes along with it. My challenge to myself and to all of us is to embrace that. <clears throat> those of you who work out physically, physical exercise, you work out a lot, you know that it's not just a once and done kind of thing. You know that you can put in a few days of exercise, perhaps weeks, perhaps even years, of following some kind of workout method or for physical fitness. But you know that if you stop going to the gym, you know that if you stop following that schedule, that you're going to get flabby. And you might still have a shape, it's just going to be a different kind of shape. Working out physically is a lot like working out spiritually. It's not like putting money in the bank where your money pretty much just lays there and perhaps even accrues some interest. Fitness, spiritual fitness, physical fitness is kind of like shaving or brushing our teeth or flossing or cleaning the house. It's something that has to be done. Almost before you're done doing it, you have to do it again. And that's, that's how it is spiritually. Spiritual disciplines just take constant engagement of our mind, our will, our focus. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't engage yourself in these spiritual disciplines, you lose it. 
Training the soul requires us to be engaged in that same schedule, regular pattern that we've talked about for physical fitness. You can never rest on your laurels. You can never rest on your spiritual accomplishments of the past. Every day, we need to choose and re-choose to earnestly engage ourselves in these spiritual disciplines and practices. Regardless of how things change around us circumstantially, regardless of how our feelings may fluctuate on any given day or week, regardless of the encroachment of setbacks and those kinds of things, Aristotle said that virtue is a habit like any other, and that just as we get better at playing the piano, by playing the piano, we gain virtue by doing virtuous things. As they say, a gentleman is a gentle man. And every time we attempt to deny a lower impulse by grasping something better or higher, we work out the soul. Every decision that we make in some way or another is sort of like a moral contest. Even small choices matter to an athlete. Even small choices matter if you're working at physical fitness. And in that same way, in that same exact way, spiritual fitness and spiritual disciplines require that same attention to detail. Day-to-day -day spiritual health, moment-to-moment. -moment. Decisions, little decisions, are actually not so little. Every time we practice a virtue habit, we push ourselves in a, in a better and a nobler direction. That is my prayer as we go through this study, as we go through this series of sermons, I'd like for us to be challenged. And first of all, I want to be challenged myself. I close with the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. And on my screen here, I have it in the ESV. You can choose the version that you'd like to read. I'm going to read it in the NIV. Follow along as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If you're able, I invite you to kneel for prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning and ask your guidance and grace on our lives. I pray that you would help us to be motivated and prepared to 
um, serve you and to serve you in our way, make you would help us in a yes to the devil. And from we come in his name. Amen.